today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about something that is often uh, very controversial. It's something that uh, more than likely has bothered even you in your faith as you're reading through the Old Testament. Uh, Today, this is going to be another one of those sermons from uh, the Calvary Chapel that I attend. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 22, and we're going to get stuck on that one verse discussing uh, what it means to be a slave of God. Now, specifically on this podcast, in this sermon, uh, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and look at biblically what um, slavery looked like. Now, we're not talking about the the horrific things that happen all over the world every day in the realm of slavery and human trafficking. No, we're talking about um, how the Bible doesn't seem to condemn slavery in the Old Testament, and even rather seems to condone it in certain situations. And there are even rules in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, concerning slavery. It's it's very disturbing, but we're going to look at that today, and we're going to find out that uh, slavery is not nearly, biblically, biblically, uh, the, Bib- the Bible version of slavery is nothing like what we see around the world. Um, and then we're going to take those concepts and carry them forward and look at what that, what kind of picture does that paint when God says that we are slaves of God, okay, what does that imagery teach us about our relationship with the Lord? So this is going to be a fun teaching for a lot of you as it's going to clear up a lot of concerns Um, a lot of stress, and possibly even a source of doubt that you've struggled with with your faith. So anyway, with that, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Like I mentioned in the introduction, uh, we're going to be talking about what uh, this means to be a slave of God, as well as what does slavery look like in the Old Testament, uh, and how does it differ from uh, what we think of when we think of slavery. So with that, let's just go ahead and jump right in. All right. So yeah, we are going to deal with an uncomfortable subject today. I think it's going to be fun. I've been looking forward to this. Um, but it's something that uh, really tripped me up in my faith early on. In fact, I was just talking to my mom about it yesterday, and it's something that has given her some hard times in the past as well. So we will get to that. Before that, though, just a, a quick review. I mean, we, I know we do this just about every time. but So Romans, written by Paul. Okay, somewhere around 57, 58 A.D. Um, he was intending to go to Rome to teach that young church there, but he had not made it there yet. And nobody else who was uh, uh, an apostle had made it there either. So the Romans didn't have a really good theological foundation just yet. Things were a little disorganized. So Paul writes this letter, his motivation being he's going to give the most uh, thorough exposition of what the, the, the gospel looks like and what the Christian walk looks like 
through this book. Awesome book. So he starts off, first three chapters, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that us Jews and the Gentiles are sinners, okay? There's nothing we can do to save ourselves, period, okay? Then he moves on to this subject of justification. Justification, again, it's, it's uh, not a process. It's something that happens instantly. The moment we trust in Christ and what he did on the cross, we're saved, we're justified. If we die a moment later, our sins are covered. We're good, okay? Sanctification is what he goes into next. And today we're going to be talking, well, we're in the section on sanctification, but we're hardly going to touch it today, really. We're going to get tripped up on another big topic but uh, sanctification is something that the cults get mixed up with justification. Sanctification is a process, the process by which we are convicted of our sins and through the help of the Holy Spirit, we change and we become more Christ-like. We live more righteously, holiness, okay? We're all on this process, this path together, trying to get our issues out of our lives, right? Clean ourselves up and walk more sinless. Lee, if that's even a word, okay? And so that's sanctification. A lot of people get the justification and sanctification mixed up. They think, well, I got to be good so that I can be saved. I got to not sin. I got to sometimes follow the Mosaic law, this, that, and the other. I got to do street time if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you know? Or I got to do the, the uh, sacraments if I'm a Roman Catholic. These different things that you have to do. No, no, you're justified. Christ died on the cross for reason. He spilled his blood to cover your sins. You're justified by what he did. Now, as a response to that, we clean up our lives. We are saved, and we love God so much, we want to live righteously. Amen? We good? All right, so let's go into... Uh, oh, last time I mentioned we were, in, uh, we were in Romans chapter 6. We touched on a couple uh, concepts that uh, are kind of interesting. One... Paul asks this question at the beginning of chapter 6. Well, should we sin more? Since we're justified, right? Should we sin more so that God's grace is shown to be all that much more amazing and awesome? You know, and he answers, well, certainly not, right? And then he goes on with two different examples of, uh, he's trying to explain why we really shouldn't be doing this. One of the things he brings up is that we should reckon ourselves, consider ourselves dead to sin, Okay? And uh, then the next thing he talks about is that we should um, make ourselves slaves of righteousness. Slaves, that dirty word. So that's where we're going to get tripped up today. We're going to go into verse 22. It's the first time I've ever done this. Usually I'll cover about half a chapter in a teaching. I'm going to spend this whole teaching stuck on this idea of verse 22. So we'll go ahead and... Uh, Read it. We're still going to cover a lot of verses, but uh, as far as Romans goes, we're going to get stuck right here. It says, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So, slaves of God. See why I was praying, God help us? This is a difficult subject. This brings up all kinds of issues. Um, slavery, uh, to begin with, conjures up in images in everybody's mind. We all think about uh, kidnapping and cruelty and beatings and, 
endless work days and, and uh, uh, condescending yelling at your slave and, and we think of racial issues, right? Okay? But yet we're called slaves of God. So there's three things that I wanted to deal with today and I have a feeling actually after putting all my notes together, there's no way I'm going to get to the third thing. I'll save that for next time, I think. I think that's how it's going to work out. First thing I want to deal with, um, what is biblical slavery? This is really uncomfortable. You guys noticed in the Old Testament, there's slavery there. And for whatever reason, you don't see God condemning it. That's really, I mean, that freaked me out when I first saw that in the Bible. It's like, oh, no, 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 this is not good. Okay, so we're going to deal with that issue. What did biblical slavery look like? And I'll give you a hint, guys. It looks nothing like the images in your head right now. Nothing. Okay? The second thing I want to deal with is, how do you become a slave? How did that actually take place? And then lastly, how do we bring this forward and apply it to the Christian life? Because what we're dealing with here is types and shadows. I've I've talked about this a few times in other teachings. Types and shadows. There's all these different events, uh, places, Uh, um, situations in people's lives that point forward to a gospel truth somewhere later down the line. Slavery, or being a slave of God, uh, when you look at biblical slavery in the Old Testament, it actually gives us some really cool lessons that we can apply in our Christian walk. So, um, yes, I was was very much looking forward to this teaching. It's... um, it's something that tripped me up years ago, and I've spent a lot of time reading. In fact, I read an entire book in preparation for this sermon. Uh, but yeah, I've been pouring over stuff for quite some time on this subject because it's, it's just been kind of a, a heavy thing to, to bear. So first of all, slaves. Let's nail this one down first. Does slaves really mean slaves? Because most of our Bibles, actually most of the newer translations, will render this scripture slaves. But every other time this, this uh, Greek word for slave, which is doulos, every time doulos is used throughout the New Testament, for the most part, it's translated bondservant or servant. Um, and that's not correct. It's actually not correct. I don't claim to be a Greek expert, but you look at all the experts and they say, no, that's not correct. Um, it really should be rendered slave. I understand why they rendered it bondservant, because it's such an uncomfortable word and it conjures so many bad images for us, okay? But it really does mean slave, okay? Um, In fact, um, Peter, James, John, and Jude all refer to themselves as slaves of God. And they use, when you look through the New Testament, okay, We're called all kinds of titles, guys. So let's not get caught up on just this one thing, slaves of God. We're also called the bride of Christ. We're called friends of Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, we are, um, we're, we're called kings and priests. All right? It's also said of us that, um, we are adopted. And, and, as adopted, we're crying out to God. In fact, I'll read the, script, the scripture, Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, um, To redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Which is, which is a real intimate way of crying out to God. It's like, Daddy. Okay? 
Just like, so um, there's all these different ways that we're, that, that our relationship with God is illustrated. We're sons, we're adopted, we're the bride of Christ. We're kings, we're priests, and we're slaves. Okay? So don't get tripped up on that. What that is is an illustration that's going to teach us more about our relationship with God and how we, where we stand before our Father, okay? And where we stand before Jesus. So um, moving on, uh, everywhere you look throughout the New Testament, this slavery imagery it's everywhere. And now that I get done with this teaching today, you guys are going to see it everywhere you look. Um, we're called these, all these other titles, but this slavery imagery um, is more throughout the New Testament than any other imagery concerning where we stand before God. So what does this mean? You know, Is this whips and chains and kidnappings or what? Okay. Uh, in fact, even Jesus, a lot of times he is uh, referred to in the Bible as Lord or master. Um, Both of those words, they're translated from a Greek word, kurios. And that basically means it's it's a slave master. That's, you know, that's, whenever you see a a master of slaves referred to in the Bible as well, it's kurios, okay? So it's interchangeable. Master, somebody that is a master of servants or slaves. So, um, Going on, Colossians chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 1. Did I say that right? So just a couple examples of this master-slave relationship. Because we want so bad for God to denounce. You want Jesus or one of the apostles, somebody to denounce slavery in the Bible. And it doesn't happen. It's, you know, you just wish it would, but it doesn't. So here's one, Colossians 4, 1. Masters. Give your bond servants, actually slaves, doulos, what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That's kind of cool. You know, that gives you, again, that illustration. And we're seeing it's not being denounced. It's, it's just there. And now we see that if you, are a, uh, uh, if you are a master of slaves, you treat your slaves just and fair. Okay? So there's your lesson number one. That doesn't look like the type of slavery that that image that's in your head. Treat them just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And how does he treat us? He is so good to us. You know, he works all things out for the good, for those who love Jesus and are called according to his purposes. So, another scripture. This one's on the flip side of this relationship between master and slave. Colossians 3, verse 22 Slaves are admonished to, quote, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Okay. So I just wanted to bring a couple of those up. You don't see it denounced anywhere in the New Testament. You don't see slavery denounced in the Old Testament. What does slavery look like in the Bible? Because this is making me nervous. Um, first thing off, let's start with this. Uh, kidnapping slaves, or as the Bible refers to it as man-stealing, was a crime punishable by death. It was strictly forbidden. Okay, Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, it says, He who kidnaps a man and sells him 
or if he's found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Okay, so everybody take a deep sigh, okay, uh, of relief, because if you are one who kidnaps a person for the purposes of selling them into slavery, or if you're found with a slave who has been kidnapped in your hand, it's a death penalty. That's, that's serious. Okay, so the, already, that's nothing like the slavery we have seen uh, in this nation's past and, and all over the world for that matter. Okay? Secondly, it should be mentioned that it has nothing to do with, with uh, racism. It has nothing to do with a person's race. Okay? We'll get into how a person becomes a slave, but right off the bat, it has nothing to do with racism, thinking that somebody is an inferior race, they're less evolved, you know, they're not as civilized, okay? And nothing to do with that either. But we'll get into how you become a slave here in a little bit. Um, so, slaves were to be taken in by their master. Uh, once they were purchased by their master, they were taken in. They were given a place to live. They were clothed. They were well fed. Um, a lot of times, uh, according to Leviticus chapter 25, verse 53, and you don't have a slide for that, um, they're to be treated like a hired servant, okay? Um, the master, also Leviticus 25, 53, was not to rule over them with vigor, okay? Uh, eventually, um, you were to hopefully foster a relationship with these slaves to the point where they became like family. And we're going to see that a little bit more as we go. Now, they were given all kinds of duties, okay? All kinds of stuff, depending on the master. And, you know, was he a landowner? Did he have livestock? Uh, did he just need help cooking, cleaning, whatever? But they did all kinds of household duties. Yes, they worked the fields for the master's harvest. I'm sure there's a parallel there. Uh, they tended the livestock. There's a parallel there, for sure. Okay? They took care of the master's house. They represented, sometimes a slave would represent the master in the public square, okay? Um, they would go shopping for him, different stuff like that, okay? The, the slaves would do just about whatever the master needed uh, within reason. Um, and I guess I should throw in there, uh, something else that was punishable by death was raping your slave. Just want to throw that out there. Again, you weren't to mistreat or oppress your slave, uh, slaves were given time off by the Mosaic Law. They had to. Um, every Sabbath day, which would be Friday night at sun sundown, all the way extended to sundown on Saturday, that was the Sabbath. And by the Mosaic Law, all slaves had to have the day off. Nothing but rest, relaxation. Okay, so again, totally different, right? They were also required to observe the feasts, which is kind of interesting. Um, so, for example, the Passover, you know, when the Passover would happen, they would get to take part in that. Yes, they would have duties in that, but they got to take part in it, and they got to eat as well and have a good time. Um, they just also had to serve in that. So, much, already, guys, much different than the, the images of slavery that you guys have, that I had going into this. Um, slaves actually had a, a certain level of respect depending on what type of slave you were, okay? And we'll get into the different types of slaves here pretty soon. But uh, um, they were afforded a certain amount of, of respect and honor in the public square. Um, 
In fact, many slaves were very proud of who they served. Um, in fact, many, many graves and tombs have been discovered in the Israel area where slaves have, their family has put the, the, the slave's name, but they included the master's name on the gravestone, which is actually kind of touching. I mean, these slaves would eventually start being treated like family, depending, of course, on their faithfulness. Um, and uh, these slaves were proud of that. They were proud of who they served. They, they were proud of their master. And I, you know, I can, I can tell you this much. Uh, none of my former employees will have my name on their gravestone. You know? <laughs> so, Gage, servant, servant, happy servant of Mike. You know? Nope, that's not going to happen. Uh, another thing, uh, they weren't to beat their slaves unjustly. Okay, this one was the tricky one. This is the one that kind of messed with me a little bit. Uh, one of the ways you can become a slave, I'll give you a hint on things to come, would be uh, a slave of war. Other slaves were criminals, okay? And being that they didn't have prisons so much, um, you know, these people would become slaves. And I guess sometimes you kind of have to, kind of like when you got to spank your kids. Um, but the, again, we're going to see it wasn't to be overly oppressive. In fact, um, the next scripture, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15 and 16, um, you weren't to be an oppressive master. Uh, it says, Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant, which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee, even among you in that place, which he shall choose in one of thy gates, where it liketh him best, sorry, this is the King James Version, thou shalt not oppress him. In other words, if you're an oppressive master, you're beating on your slave, the slave runs away, and somebody finds him, you don't return the slave back to an oppressive master, which is kind of cool too. So uh, lastly, no, not lastly, pretty close to lastly, most of the slaves, not all of them, uh, but a lot of the slaves were released on the year of Jubilee. So every seven years, all of the slaves would get let go. Um, in uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39 through 43, it's a big one. Uh, it says, If thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant, but as a hired servant, and as a sojourner, he shall be with thee, and he shall serve with thee unto the year of Jubilee. And then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, unto the possession of his fathers shall he return, for, the, for they are my servants which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bond, bondmen, thou shalt not rule over them with rigor, but shall fear thy God. It also says in Exodus chapter 21, verse 2, uh, it says, If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he will serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So, some of the slaves were actually set free after seven years. Uh, and they were set free uh, with kind of a care package, too, which is interesting. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, it says, And if thy brother, Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt set him free, he'll go free from thee, and when thou send him, sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt 
Furnish him liberally out of thy flock, out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress, of that wherewith the Lord thy God has blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. Okay, so they were actually, when they were set free, they were set free with food, you know, livestock, grain, something to drink. Um, in other words, they weren't just, you know, you, you get set free, what are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to feed yourself? They would let them go with kind of a small care package, something they could even use to make a living. You know, if you had a land that you could graze your livestock on, you could kind of at least keep yourself afloat. So, lastly, as far as biblical slaves go, they could choose to stay. Uh, at the end of their service, when it was time to be set free, they could choose to be, they could just choose to stay with their master. And a lot of them did. And so there was a ceremony for that where they would have uh, their ear pierced. Uh, basically, they'd be marked by their master, and then they would serve the master for the rest of their life. And a lot of people just chose to do that. Okay, So it's a lot different than what we're thinking. They were not to oppress them. They were not to be cruel to them. They were not to rape them. They were not to uh, kidnap. Okay, All these things that we associate with slavery that are so negative... Uh, it wasn't that bad. Okay, so how do you become a slave? Uh, obviously, as we've already discussed, uh, kidnapping is out of the question. Did it still happen? Yeah, I'm sure it did. But that's not what God prescribed. And if you were busted doing it, it was a big deal, as we saw. Another way that it can happen uh, is slaves of war. So in times of, of war, you know, what do you do? You go in there, you wreck the land, you wreck the cities, um, a lot of people die, and then, there's, and then there's some people that are left over that are still alive. What do you do with them? Well, if, if they pose a major threat to, to you or your people, well, I guess you kill them. I don't like that. It doesn't feel good, but that's how it works. Um, but sometimes, you know, when there's women and children, they don't pose a threat. What do you do? You, you take them in. You, you make them slaves. And what this did, oddly enough, is it would assimilate them into the Hebrew culture. Uh, they were to be taught through the feasts and through the Sabbath. They were to be taught the Torah. And so the end goal was ultimately to, um, they would never be Jews, right? But at least to assimilate them into the society. And, and they were to be treated with respect. Because um, again, they were strangers in a strange land as well. So, and yes, were slaves of war treated a little bit differently? Yeah, probably. I mean, come on, you, you got to expect that. Um, I'm sure that they're going to be a little bit more um, uh, uh, resistant to serving you, right? So it might be a little different. That, that is uncomfortable, but it is what it is. I mean, the alternative, leave them there and starve, is probably far worse. Um, another way to become a slave is criminals. Now, this is kind of fun. <laughs> when uh, somebody commits a crime... Uh, back in Old Testament times, and they were caught, whoever they wronged, they had to make restitution to them. They had to pay that person back sometimes five to seven times the value of whatever they damaged, stole, or whatever. Okay? And obviously, if it was a life, if somebody's life was lost during this crime, well, it was a life for a life. That's just how things were done. But if property was damaged or whatever, well, whatever, you had to repay the person that you wronged many times over, which is awesome. In our system, what do we do? We just throw you in jail. Okay, so the person that got wronged rarely 
gets what's owed to them. They're just stuck holding the bag, right? And then we as taxpayers have to pay for them to sit there and eat three squares and have a comfy cell. But back then, no, you commit a crime against somebody, you're busted, um, you serve them now. If you can't pay them back, you become their servant for a time, and you work it off. I think that's justice. I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, rather than just locking them up and everybody has to pay for them, right? Um, Lastly, the other way that you can become a slave is from debt. So um, if you rack up a debt that you can't pay, you owe your your, uh, lender something, and you're unable to pay your debt, you have to sell yourself into slavery. If you, if you default on your, on your debt and you can't, simply cannot pay it, there's only one other option. They didn't have social programs. I mean, the closest thing to a social program they had was the, the, the uh, landowners that were growing food would avoid um, harvesting the corners of the field so that the poor could go over there and glean the food, which actually is also kind of neat. Rather than a handout, it was a hand up. They still had to work for it. But it was, still, it was free. That's kind of cool, actually. But that was the closest thing to a social program. So you get yourself in debt. Nobody's going to bail you out. You can't declare bankruptcy. You sell yourself into slavery. And well, okay. And uh, sometimes you had the choice of picking a master, you know, somebody that would bail you out, and you could work for somebody you wanted to work for. Sometimes you just work for the guy you own the money to. So, um, it, again, it's unfortunate, but that's how it worked. And uh, nobody had to carry the load of people who spent money irresponsibly. Now, there's other times in life where you just run into hard times, right? And just bad things happen. And you have to sell yourself uh, into slavery. Or it even happened that people would sell their kids into slavery. What is that? So, well, <laughs> Rick's shaking his head. <laughs> I know you've thought about it, Rick. No. Um, <laughs> Actually, I think, it's, I think it's a little different than, than what a lot of you might be thinking. If you can't support your kids, what are you going to do? I mean, you don't want to watch them grow up in a really bad situation. So what about you know somebody, wealthy landowner, good man, reads the word, knows his Torah, strong in the Lord. It's actually not that bad of a deal, and you know seven years later they're going to be free. And, 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 and guys, that you're a jubilee is a set date. It's not a from the day you start working, the clock starts ticking. It's every seven years on a set date, boom, you're a ju- jubilee, you're free. So you might sell your kids off to, to be slaves, and they might only have like a year or two. You know? So be it sending them to boot camp. Um, <laughs> also, it should be mentioned, you have the option of buying your kids back. You could, any of your relatives could buy your kids back. And that was part of the Mosaic Law. So if a, uh, one of your kin, one of your family, goes to the slave owner and says, I have the money, I want him back, he's required by the Mosaic Law to sell the kid back. Okay? So, again, totally different. So, I am going to kind of start reeling it in here because I still have a whole other section that I wanted to get into on how this applies to our Christian walk. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are already seeing some of the parallels. They're there. Some of them are, are obvious, and some of them are not so obvious. I'm going to save that until next time. But um, 
What I want to point out is, so we saw the four different ways you can become a slave. Kidnapping is right out. That's not how God works. God doesn't kidnap people and take them against their will. But the other three, there's some parallels there. Slaves of war. We were once at enmity with God. We've seen that just here in Romans. We've been at war with God all of our lives before trusting in Christ. That's, uh, there, there's a parallel there. What about criminals? Yeah, I mean, we've wronged this righteous, holy God repeatedly. We are sinners. We know that. There's no one righteous, no, not one. All fall short of the glory of God. We know that we cannot measure up to God's perfect standard. So we fit that image of being a criminal. And we also, we do have a debt that we cannot pay. We have a sin debt. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. <clears throat> Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he was taken... Let me try that again. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So what's this handwriting of requirements? Um, other translations will render that certificate of death, which is, um, I'm sorry, that did not come out right. Certificate of debt, 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 debt. <laughs> okay, uh, which I think reflects it a lot better. Uh, the Greek word there that you do not want me to try and pronounce, uh, chirographon. You want to throw that up there, yellers? Danielle, I mean. My wife put these slides together like 10 minutes before the service. She did an awesome job. It's all my fault. I was supposed to get this to her like three or four days ago. We've been really busy with the graduation stuff. But anyway, chirographon, uh, a document, a note of indebtedness, is written in one's own hand as a proof of obligation. Okay? That's what Paul was saying. We have a debt that is against us. We've racked it up. We have sinned repeatedly over and over and over in our lives. And Christ, he wiped out that certificate of debt, nailing it to the cross in what he did there, uh, taking our sins upon himself. Okay? Even, even uh, the Lord's Prayer that we're all taught to memorize, you know? Uh, forgive us our debt as we forgive those who have, uh, have debt against us. Well, that's not talking about money. It's talking about sin. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So Christ, um, in fact, when he was on okay, when he was on the cross, he said, It is finished. In Greek, that word was tetelestai. That word means paid in full. It's what they would stamp on debt that had been paid off, a document showing that a debt had been paid. Tetelestai. Paid in full. Last thing Christ said, you know. Awesome. Titus, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify, us, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Christ redeemed us. Redeemed. What does that mean? It's uh, to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. That's what Christ did for us. We have been purchased. 
And so that's just the beginning of this illustration of us being slaves of God. That's just the beginning of it. And so next time, and I'm sorry, I camped out on one verse for the entire teaching. Next time, we'll look into how that applies to our lives. What is that picture? And it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. There's times when your hair stands up just listening to it. So um, we'll stop there. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you so much um, for teaching us through the word today. Uh, God, I hope and pray that everybody understood everything correctly. Um, I want to represent your word correctly, and I don't want to say anything that's not true. Uh, Father, thank you for showing us that slavery is not at all biblically the, the cruel and oppressive and horrendous thing that we see throughout the world and even in our own nation's history. Um, God, this week, as we go through our daily uh, uh, readings of the Bible and you know, just our daily life, speak to our spirit and uh, already start to lay the groundwork and show us what that means to be a slave of you. And it's a beautiful thing. God, help us all to be those who you would say of us, well done, good and faithful servant. May every last one of us hear those words someday. We praise you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.